My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors at River City. Uh, my family and I moved here along with about five other families to Dubuque in 2016 to help plant that church and help reach the city of Dubuque with the good news of the gospel and the personal work of Jesus. And by God's grace, that's been going well. Uh, we've been growing as a church, and God's been gracious in that, and so grateful for that. Before I was uh, a pastor at a church here in Dubuque, I spent 10 years, a little over 10 years, uh, involved with and then on staff with a college campus ministry uh, called InterVarsity. And God did some pretty transformational things in my own life. Uh, during my time in college and got to be a part of the work he was doing in the lives of others and seeing people grow up in their faith, seeing people come to faith in Jesus. And, and so I have a special place in my heart for college students. And so I'm excited to get to be here with you this morning and excited as well to just invite you to come to River City. If you don't have a church that you're a part of here while you're here at school, uh, we'd love to have you at River City. You're welcome. And uh, we'd love to, love to be able to serve you and love to be able to help you be a part of that community as well. So. Uh, last Friday, Brooks opened up your chapel series on the book of Proverbs. And what he said is that Proverbs is, is a part of a, a bigger genre of, of literature in Scripture called the wisdom literature. And they're, the books in the wisdom literature, they're, they're thinking books. They're, they're, they're not meant to be powered through. They're not meant to be studied at a glance. They're meant to be mulled over and thought about deeply. And they're meant to be, you're meant to read them and come back to them again and again and again to keep soaking in the truths that are there. But Proverbs, like the rest of wisdom literature, in the Bible, it's not just a collection of like these heady, esoteric sayings that you're supposed to just mull over. Uh, Proverbs is this deeply, intensely practical book. It's showing us the kinds of actions and attitudes and perspectives that lead to the best, fullest, most God-glorifying and personally fulfilling lives. And it points out the landmines and the ditches that are going to keep us from walking in that kind of a life. You see, wisdom in the book of Proverbs and throughout the Bible is not primarily just about what you know and believe. It's about learning to apply those truths in a way that actually changes your everyday lives. And in other words, wisdom isn't just information. It's about transformation. It's about the transformation of our hearts that leads to the transformation of our lives. And what you see throughout Proverbs is that the path to that kind of a transformed life that's, that's characterized by wisdom, it's described as a path and not as a point. Described as a path, not as a point. You see, wisdom is not a door that you walk through. Wisdom is a path that you walk on every day. You don't wake up one day and find out you are wise. No, instead, every day you wake up with a choice. Will you choose to walk the path of wisdom or the path of sin and folly? Wisdom comes as you learn to walk the path of wisdom day by day. And as we study this morning, kind of a second kind of intro to your series here as you spend the year studying the book of Proverbs, but what I want to show you this morning is that Proverbs highlights for us three signposts that kind of mark out the path for wisdom. They, they show us where that path is and how to walk that path. And three signposts that show us the way to get the kind of life-transforming wisdom that we need to live the lives that God's made us for and that he calls us to. We're going to see that that path is marked out by wanting wisdom, by submitting to the wise one, and by heeding wisdom. And so with that in mind, let's pray, and then we'll dive into God's word this morning. God, thanks so much for your word and for our time together in it. God, we want to see you and know you. So we ask, God, that you'd be gracious uh, to speak through us, uh, through your word to us. 
And so that we might not just have more information, God, but that we might walk in the path of wisdom and live lives that are ultimately uh, glorifying to you and are fulfilling in the way you've meant them to us. And so we need you for all of that. We pray that you be gracious to do this. Amen. Well, like I said, there's three signposts we're going to take a look at this morning as we think about walking the path of wisdom that Proverbs shows us. And the, the first step on the path to wisdom is simply this. You have to want wisdom. You have to want it. You've got to seek it out. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 says it this way. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. You see, Proverbs 4 is putting it bluntly for us, right? The way to wisdom is to come after it. If you want wisdom, Proverbs says, come and get it, seek it out, pursue it, run after it. But the kind of desire for wisdom, the kind of pursuit of wisdom that Proverbs is urging us towards here is not just kind of this nonchalant, like, ah, we'll see if we got some time. It's kind of interesting. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll see what this wisdom thing is all about. No, instead, the, the kind of wisdom that, that the Proverbs 4 is talking about is an all-in kind of commitment. Right? Verse, at the end of verse 7, it says, Though it costs all you have, get understanding. There's a story that's told about a, a young man who, who once approached the, the Greek philosopher Socrates, and he, he casually kind of comes to him. He says, oh, oh great, Socrates. I come to you for knowledge. And, and the story goes this way. The philosopher took the young man down to the sea and waded in with him, and then he dunked him under the water for 30 seconds, which I can only imagine was just like a bit of a surprise for that dude, right? And he says, when, when, when he let the young man up for air, Socrates asked him again, what do you want? Knowledge, O great one, he replied. And after repeated dunking, Socrates asked again, what do you want? The young man finally gasped, air, I want some air. Good, answered Socrates. He says, now when you want knowledge as much as you want air, then you'll have it. You see, that's the kind of desire for wisdom that Proverbs invites us to. That it might be the thing we want more than we want anything else. The thing we see as the thing of chief value, of utmost importance, of greatest worth. Even if it costs everything we have to get it. Luke chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus echoes these very words when he says to, says to the disciples, he says, anyone who does not give up everything they have can't be my disciple. You see, walking the path of wisdom is often costly. It's often costly, but it's so worth it. Throughout the book of Proverbs, wisdom is heralded as this thing of supreme worth. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 says it this way. It says that wisdom is more profitable than silver. It yields a better return than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing you desire can compare with her. You see, but Proverbs goes on to say it this way, right? That, that wanting wisdom, even though you see it as supremely valuable, wanting wisdom isn't enough. The second thing Proverbs highlights for us is that walking the path of wisdom requires is that we would submit to the true source of wisdom. You see, that's what Proverbs is referring to over and over when it calls us to fear the Lord. Proverbs 15.33 says it this way, Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 7 puts it this way, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him. 
and he'll make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Instead, fear the Lord and shun evil. So the question you've got to ask is, what, what does it mean to fear the Lord then, right? What, and why is that such a non-negotiable point on this path to wisdom? And the reality is that we have a lot of trouble understanding the word fear because part of it is that there isn't really a good English translation for the Hebrew word for, for fear there. You see, the Hebrew word for fear, it has overtones of awe and reverence and humble submission. You see, in the Bible, when the Bible is talking about fear, it's talking ultimately about the idea of worship. That's why the Bible divides fear into these two main categories, a fear of God and a fear of everything else. In one, it describes positively. In the other, it describes negatively. Example, Proverbs 28, 14 says, Blessed is the one who always trembles before God. But Proverbs 29, 25 says it this way, that the fear of man will prove to be a snare and a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. See, psychologists, when they tell us that when you understand your greatest fear, you'll also be able to understand the thing that you love most, the thing that you treasure most. If you see your greatest fear, then you'll see your greatest love. And in a lot of ways, that feels counterintuitive, and you're like, I don't really get that. That sounds like some psychology mumbo-jumbo, right? But the reality is, is that it makes a lot of sense because what you love most, the thing you desire most, whatever the thing is that you have the most awe and reverence for is the thing you will always fear losing the most. It's the thing you will do anything to get or anything to keep. It's the thing that has the overwhelming controlling influence in your life. And that's the thing that you functionally worship. When the fear of God is the overwhelming, controlling influence of our lives, we're in this spot that we've been made to be. Because what we were made to do is to worship Him. And so we're in the sweet spot of life and where God calls us to be. And it leads to a life of blessing and joy because God's not just powerful, and he's, but He's good. But the converse is true. When, when the fear of something other than God is the overwhelming, controlling influence in our lives, when we worship something else, then everything in our lives is out of whack. And it always leads to pain and heartache and conflict and destruction because fundamentally when we worship something else, it's the very foundation of what sin is. And so walking the path to wisdom is inseparable from fearing God. It requires that we put him in the rightful, his rightful place in our lives as the one that we are overwhelmed and controlled by, the one that we submit our lives to, the one that we worship most. And so wanting wisdom isn't enough. You have to also know the source of true wisdom and submit yourself to him or will miss the path to wisdom no matter how much you want it. But there's one more signpost that Proverbs marks the path for gaining wisdom with, and it's simply this. You have to do what wisdom says. You have to heed wisdom. You have to not just listen to it, but to do what God says. You see, wisdom isn't just about knowing what is right. It's about doing what is right. Over and over again in Proverbs, the call is not just to listen to God's words, but is to obey them, is to do them. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 3 says that the whole purpose of the book is so that we would learn to do what is right and just and fair. Proverbs 29, 18 tells us, it says, Blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. See, remember, the path to wisdom is not a door. It's a path we walk each day by choosing to heed the word of God, not just to listen to it, as James tells us, and so deceive ourselves, but to be doers of the word. 
as we choose again and again to submit to God and to heed his wisdom, what happens is little by little, step by step, we begin to grow wise. You see, according to Proverbs, gaining wisdom and growing in wisdom is not so much a function of big, dramatic decisions and events, but rather it's a function of those little choices made day after day after day as we choose to walk the path of wisdom. And that's both encouraging and challenging for us, I think. It's challenging because it means that walking the path of wisdom is a marathon, not a sprint. I don't know about you. Uh, if you look at me, you can tell I'm not a good runner, right? It's just, that's not what I'm built for, right? Uh, I can swim because I float great, but running, it's not, it's not my thing, right? You see, and walking the path of wisdom is hard because it is a long path. It's not a quick journey. It's not a quick, it's not a shortcut. It's a long path. But it's also encouraging because I think the reality is that a lot of times I think people look at their own spiritual growth and their, and their own growth in wisdom kind of like a stock chart. But the problem is we're stuck in the day view. When you look at the day view of a stock chart, it looks like the world is just endless chaos. And then when you zoom out to the three-month or the six-month or the year thing, what you see is that, oh, those things that looked like giant mountains and valleys, those were tiny little ups and downs. See, and part of the encouragement that walking the path of wisdom is a slow and steady process for us is this reminder that we get to zoom out on our lives. And we get to see over time the way that God is gracious to give us wisdom as we pursue and follow him. And for some of you, you just need to zoom out a little bit. You need to ask God to help you see the ways that he's been growing you in wisdom over time. Ask him to help you see that so that it might encourage you to keep enduring and pressing in to the path of wisdom. So gaining wisdom is this slow process that we join God in every day. And he's faithful to grow us as we desire wisdom, as we submit to him, and as we heed wisdom. And so that's the, that's the path that wisdom, to wisdom that Proverbs lays out for us. And so the question that we got to ask is, what keeps us from walking that path? It's not hidden. It's not obscured. The path to wisdom in Scripture is laid out for us. It's very clear. Why don't we walk it? There's all kinds of reasons that we can answer that question with. Like, we could spend days talking about the things that keep us from walking the path of wisdom. But a few things I want to highlight for us this morning that keep us from walking that path. And the reality is that for some of us, what keeps us from walking the path of wisdom is that you just don't really want it that much. You are far too easily satisfied with the wisdom of the world and the ways of the world. Proverbs one twenty two says it this way, How long... Will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? C.S. Lewis famously said it this way in his sermon, The Weight of Glory. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. See, for some of you, what is keeping you from walking the path of wisdom is that you don't see it as the thing that's worth giving everything to have. You are far too distracted and far too pleased by all the other stuff that you are filling your lives and your attentions with. 
And I want to encourage you this morning, the end of all that stuff, Proverbs tells you, is death and destruction. All of it, every last nook and cranny and corner. There's one thing that's worth pursuing, and it's the very wisdom of God. It's Him. Run after that. Don't get satisfied by other things. So for some of us, it's that we don't really want wisdom that bad. We're far too easily pleased with other stuff. But for others of us, what keeps us from walking the path of wisdom is that we just don't want to pay the cost. Remember, we talked about earlier in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, right? It said, the beginning of wisdom is to get wisdom. Whatever it costs, though it costs you everything, get understanding. See, the path to wisdom, it leads to true, abundant life, but it is not a shortcut. If anything, it's the long way around. And it requires that we lay down the paths that we think look right and good and instead embrace the paths that God says are right and good. And one of the reasons why that is so hard to do is because the path of God's wisdom is altogether divergent from the path of the world's wisdom. They're not the same. They don't run in the same course. They're not even parallel. They run the opposite directions. And to pursue the path of wisdom, it requires that we reject the ways of the world. And that is costly. And so some of us, the thing that keeps us from walking the path of wisdom is that, is that you just don't want to pay the cost. For others, some of you, it's just a matter of pride that we don't want to admit that we don't have the wisdom that we need, that life seems to be going fine, that we just don't really need any help. And I think that I would be amiss to, to believe that any of you who are here at a Bible college would come to school and say, oh, I know everything. I don't need God, right? None of you are saying that out loud, right? Otherwise, I kind of doubt you'd be here at Bible school, right? But the reality is that pride is so deeply subversive in our while we might not on the outside be telling God that we know all of it, what we reveal is that we think we do because pursuing him is so far down the list of our priorities that it barely even makes the list. See, when God is not our highest priority, it just doesn't reveal a messed up worship. It reveals that we think we just don't need him. That's the essence of pride. We think things are going fine just the way they are. We just don't need them that badly. And I want to encourage you. Proverbs has some really tough words for those kinds of people, for us when we think that way. 28 verse 26 says, Those who trust in themselves are fools. 26 verse 12, Do you see a person who's wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for them, for a fool than for them. Proverbs 16, 25, for there is a way that appears right, but in the end it just leads to death. You see, pride keeps us from walking the path of wisdom and not wanting to count the cost or to pay the cost. It keeps us from walking the path of wisdom. And not wanting it in the first place, it keeps us from walking the path of wisdom. But the reality is that underneath and behind all of those other things, the thing that primarily keeps us from walking the path of wisdom is that we fear and worship something other than God. That's the thing, ultimately, behind it. 
There's something else that has the controlling influence in our lives, something we cannot give up, and it can be people or family or parents or kids or spouses or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It can be things like money or your job or a longing for a career or a house or a hobby. It can be social status or political influence or personal autonomy. The list is endless of the things that overwhelm and control us. But at River City, at my church, we often talk about how underneath and behind all of those surface-level things, our heart-level desires for one, one of or a combination of the idols. We call them source idols, but the idols of power, control, comfort, and approval. See, with the idol of power, the thing that we are controlled by, the thing that we long for most, the thing that rules our lives is this the desire for authority and for influence other, over other people and over other situations. With control, it's this desire to have autonomy and certainty over all the aspects and variables in our own life and future. The idol of comfort, where the thing that we worship is this, is this longing for freedom and pleasure in addition to the escape from stress and responsibility. With the idol of approval, the thing that we worship, the thing that we are controlled by is this longing to be loved, accepted, and respected by all certain kinds of peoples or groups. We don't have the time this morning to do the deep dive on those things, but I want to urge you this morning, if you want to walk the path of wisdom, you need to learn how to identify the things that you are worshiping in the heart level of Jesus. You have to learn to identify what are the things that are captivating your attention, what are the things that are controlling your decisions, that are overwhelming your choices. And you need to learn how to identify those things, the things you're tempted to worship instead of God, because what you worship always determines the path that you walk. And if you'll, you'll either worship the one true God and walk the path of wisdom, or you will end up worshiping something else, and you will always end up walking the path of sin and folly. You see, worship is the thing that changes everything. And so the question this morning is, how do you overcome the things that keep us from walking the path of wisdom? You've got to start to worship the right thing. That begins with humility and repentance that comes as we look to the one who was wise for us. See, in the scriptures, what we see is that Jesus is not just the wise one. He is himself the very wisdom of God. He is the perfect fulfillment of all the Proverbs show us. He is the exemplar of everything that Proverbs points us to, the very wisdom of God himself. Jesus desired wisdom perfectly, and he submitted to the wise one perfectly, and he heeded wisdom perfectly. And what you see on the cross is that Jesus, the very wisdom of God, he is suffering and dying for simpletons and fools and mockers like you and me. so that you and I might be made wise for salvation and so that his wisdom, his skillfully lived life of godliness might be credit to us. Here's the thing I need you to see this morning. The degree to which you are captivated by Jesus as the wisdom of God and the degree to which you see yourself as the fool that he died to save, that will be the degree to which you are empowered and motivated to seek his wisdom, to submit to him as the wise one, and to do what he says no matter what it costs. It's only when you are captivated by the person and the work of Jesus 
that you'll have the power and motivation to pursue the very wisdom of God. Jesus, we are so grateful this morning that the call to wisdom is not a call to just drudgery and obedience, but it is a call to walk the path that leads to life, life to the full. And so, God, I pray for these students this morning that as they begin a new year again, that you would be gracious, God, not just to fill their minds with knowledge about you, but you would be gracious to fill their lives with the transforming power of your wisdom that they wouldn't just be satisfied to know more information, but they would hunger and thirst, Jesus, that you might transform their very lives. So that increasingly more and more, they might reflect your image, Jesus, the wise one. And so God, for all of that to happen, we need you. Captivate our hearts and attention so that we have all the power and motivation we need to pursue wisdom, to submit to you as the wise one, and to do what you say no matter what it costs. We need you for all of the God, and we pray.